0: I packed up all my stuff. I went to Clearwater Beach in my cleats. I bought a beach chair and I just sat there because my flight was until a couple hours later. And I thought, I was like, well, you gave it all you had, baseball's over. Hey, Mr. By- Mm, burger. Burger Bites is recorded on location in Ozark, Missouri and presented on Anchor. The views expressed on Burger Bites are not necessarily those of the staff and ownership of the Grip and Rip Baseball League. Enjoy the show.
1: Baseball fans in Springfield, Missouri know the names Keith Gutton, Mark Stratton, Howard Bell, and Scott Nasby. Grip and Rip Baseball League founder and commissioner, Tony Lewis, has connections with all of them. On this episode of Burger Bites, we take you on the long and winding road that was Tony's fruitful, but difficult, career in independent baseball. It almost ended on a beach in Florida before it took flight across the Atlantic, then took a long drive north. Years later, Tony's baseball odyssey led him to start a league of his own in Missouri. We start the trek by going all the way back to the beginning. Every odyssey starts with an origin story. You know, were you always a baseball-playing kid, or did you have some other interests in your upbringing? No, um, pro-
0: no, actually, no, I didn't. I, I, my older brother, Alex Lewis, played for SMS back in the day, and I learned from him. I'm the youngest son of three in my family, and Alex played for Gutton and uh, Southwest Missouri State back in the day, and I was just a kid. Jason Foulballs, and um, he devoted his time to form me as a player. And um, you know, I always had two goals in mind when I was a kid: I want to play baseball, I want to get paid to do it, and I want to see the world. And so I, I knew that baseball could do that for me when I was a kid. It's easy if you if you hone your craft, and if you're really good at it then you can obtain making this somewhat of a profession and also seeing some amazing places in the world. And uh, I was able to do those three things, not to the capacity <laughs> that I had in my dreams to be a Major League Baseball player. And, you know, the 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 oddest thing is, is I saw a, a phrase the other day. is like, yeah, I'm working at this job, but um, I still think I could be a Major League Baseball player. <laughs> and, um <laughs> The weird thing is, is I still think I can and I'm 36 and I'm, you know, I'm an over, over overweight, out of shape banker right now, but it's like, you know, it's like, I, you know, these guys can still do it. And that's, that's the main drive and passion of this thing is these guys can still do it and do it at such a level. That's very impressive to see. And yes, we do have errors in our league and we do have botched plays, but every now and then, you'll see a play in the hole at shortstop and then he'll gun a guy out at first. And then people are like, Holy God, that was a great play. And see, that's, that's the whole purpose of it. So
1: so your, your glory days, you played for Stratton at Glendale. And then um, did you start off at Missouri State? I
0: did. I did. Um, they just came off their their college world series run in Omaha. And I came in, my freshman season was when we, and they were building Hammond's Field and they were actually still playing at Price Cutter Park. Um, I was a freshman and I had redshirted that initial year when the first part of that season was played at Price Cutter before the grand home opening to unveil Hammond's Field. And uh I survived all the the, the the cuts and the tryouts and the walk-on tryouts all the way to to actually make Missouri State's roster. And I knew that was going to be special because on that roster, I knew that I was going to be able to be suited up to unveil Hammond's Field, which was going to be great. It was going to be a good achievement. And there I was, uh, Hammond's Field, 10,000, 8,000, 10,000 fans. And I was the one of the only local guys there in uniform. It was really – it was the first time that I'd ever seen that many fans that I'd be playing in front of. Um, and, and it was great. And um, – Actually, in that first year, I, I pulled my red shirt and I forgone half my freshman season just to play D1 ball in my freshman year. And I played in Hammonds and I got to play in front of thousands of friends and family. And that was great. I had, uh, had a good freshman year. I played summer ball out in Ohio in the Great Lakes League. And then I had a pretty decent sophomore campaign. And then junior year rolled around. Uh, for whatever reason, there was younger talent, you know, that were you know freshmen and sophomores that I kind of, I kind of got forgotten, and it happens, and it happens in so many players' careers that, you know, they find themselves in a crux, they find themselves in a place where you know, do I need to keep on pursuing this or do I just need to hang it up, and and I wasn't ready to give it up, and so, Coach Stratton. I played for Mark uh, all through Glendale, him and Bell. And, and then I hear Drury starting up, and then I was able to – I transferred, and I gave my last year of D1 eligibility to go play for this D2 squad, uh, the startup D2 squad at Drury. And uh, we had we went on to have a fantastic year, and I led a lot of these younger gentlemen – to a regional title, and jury was on the map as far as baseball is concerned in our inaugural year. But, you know, the real magic kind of happens, you know, a couple of years after uh, Drury baseball as far as the grip and rip is concerned.
1: So, yeah, you, you finish up your college career, and then did you go straight into looking for some pro opportunities, or did that, you know, how did, how did that opportunity all materialize for you?
0: I was actually in Italy. There was a a study abroad program that makes you go through if you're going for a business degree. And and I was in Italy, and I was kind of staying in tune to the amateur draft. I didn't have a lot of hopes for it. I knew I was passed over. And I'm like, well, it looks like baseball could be over for me. Um, But then when I came back home in July in 2008, uh, I got a letter from the Philadelphia Phillies that was like, hey, we want you to come out to this select free agent tryout that we're going to have in Clearwater, Florida. And at that time, you know, a lot of my friends had taken a lot of desk jobs and they had started their careers in finance or whatever field they went into. I'm like, you know, I'm not giving up. I can't can't do it. And I I went and took this tryout and I paid for my own flight, paid for my own rental car went down to their spring training complex and I survived out of a five or six day tryout where they made cuts every day. I survived to the last day for the Phillies. And I was like, you know, I I played my heart out. I played at shortstop. My main position was short and I made every single play that came at me. Not one error. I actually was one of the extra base hits off the wall. And some of these guys from all over the world were there like, man, these guys are, these guys are good. You know. I, and I thought myself, I was like, you know, I'm pretty good. But these guys I'm competing with and playing with are very good too. But I have just as good a chance to make this final spot or these final couple spots to be invited to their spring training. And uh, it came down to it and I got cut the very last day. And I'll never forget, I packed up all my stuff. I went to Clearwater Beach in my cleats. I bought a beach chair. And I just sat there because my flight was until a couple hours later, and I thought I was like, "Well, you you gave it all you had. Baseball's over." And uh, I went back home, and it wasn't the greatest of feelings to kind of come back, feeling that baseball was over. But um, you know, a good friend of mine, Nasby, he's the coach of the jury now, and obviously worked for the GRBL. He goes, "Hey, I've made some calls for you." and a, uh, a temple Bay devil Ray scout, I, I believe was down there watching and he goes, he's got something for you. Uh, but it's not in the States. I was like, okay, where, what, what's, well, what are we talking about here? And he goes, well, you got a choice between, um, Eastern Europe or Paris. And I was like, well, I, I'd like to go to Paris. <laughs> and, uh, and he's like, okay, well, you know, it's not the level of ball that you're probably going to be accustomed to. And it's going to be really different. And so I got in touch with the scout. And then he got me in touch with the a general manager out of this team, out of this little town just north of Paris. And they had done their research on me. And they had said, yeah, you know, in France, we're only, we can only have three foreigners per team but the town you're going to play for is so small. They can only afford one and you're the one and uh, we'll pay for your flights and we'll pay you a monthly stipend and we'll also pay for a train pass and we'll, and we'll pay for your flat. And I go, this is a no brainer. (laughs) I was like, sign me up, let me know when to report and, and, and let's get started.
1: How old are you when this is happening?
0: I was 22 years old when that was going on. And did you um, did you
1: have any background in studying French or or know anything about the culture?
0: Absolutely not. Um, <laughs> I'm I'm half <laughs> Colombian. my My mother was born in South America, so I'm I'm half Colombian. She was born in Barranquilla. and so I knew that the Spanish language is somewhat close to French. And uh, but other than that, I showed up at an airport in March of 2008. And there is a little French guy who was our manager of the head, uh, Monsieur Lewis on his little placard. And I knew that's the guy who I had to go see and he got all my baseball stuff and I'm literally in a car with someone who has no idea what I'm saying and I have no idea what he's saying. <laughs> and and we get to this small town in France and he shacks me up, he goes, you know, like like how our minor league ball is and, and ball as you know you you get uh, host families or whatnot. My host family was this extremely elderly couple in this tiny little town in northern France. I played in a town called Rouen in the Normandy province, and uh, they go, "You have the attic, and you know this is our house, and this is the, this is our kitchen, but you have a hot plate and you have a bathroom, and you 're relegated to the top floor of our house. Um, so it was base, It was very clear-cut rules. It was kind of like, here's your key. You come in here. This is your path. And then you, you sleep here. Then you, you get out and do your baseball things. And then you come back and you take yourself back into your room and you have your hot plate for your eggs and your <laughs> or your, your little steak, whatever it is you want to make.
1: But um, that's what Sounds I like did. Sounds like they were huge baseball fans.
0: No, yeah. and And that was the other thing, too, is French baseball, I mean – it's not like uh, the passion like it is in the States. It's kind of like if, you know, you brought over a, a star rugby player to come into Springfield or like a cricket player. And then this this nation is, uh, France and these guys that play baseball over there, you know, they're passionate about this sport that's just not that popular over there. And What was, uh, the,
1: what was the name of the club you had hooked on with?
0: The Bois Guillaume.
1: Woodchucks. The Wood chucks. That reminds me of a big fella I know who has plenty of experience chucking wood. And that's Brock Chaffin. The former Missouri State Bear is the founder and the lead salesman at Rube Bats. Rube Bats offers quality wood at unbelievably low prices. No plastic, no composite, and no price gouging. Almost every bat is just $35, and Rube Bats donates $10 from every purchase to help shelter dogs right here in the Ozarks. Helping hitters, helping dogs, and keeping plastic out of the game. For more information, find him on Facebook by searching Rube Bats. That's R U E B Bats. Funny thing about the woodchucks, they no longer exist. Elected officials in Bois Guillaume received complaints from people who lived around the woodchucks' park because of too many stray foul balls. According to French baseball records, the club dissolved from further complications from a fight with City Hall in 2010, just two seasons after Tony Lewis left France. His travels were far from over, and Tony was about to stumble into a baseball experience that would later lead him to start a league of his own in Springfield, Missouri, the GRBL. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. Let's get back to Northern France.
0: So Bois Guillaume is... Bois Guillaume
1: Woodchucks, all
0: right. In English translation, that'd be William Woods, because Bois is wood and Guillaume is William. So it'd be the William Woods Woodchucks. And so uh, I played for the Bois Guillaume Woodchucks for the entire year of 2008, and it was such a memorable year playing and seeing the entire country of France and the Riviera and playing international teams and just being engulfed in such a culture that I had never been in and picked up the language very, um, it was kind of a dumbed down understanding that I had of the language, but pretty soon, I'd probably say three to four months in, I was pretty conversational and my parents made their way over there to see some of the games and they were actually impressed with my understanding of the French language, even though I knew at then at that point that my my understanding wasn't near good enough to to, to live over there, for example. But um, it was uh, to see these guys who had normal jobs outside of playing on the weekends. It was what they lived for. And so that was kind of a common theme that kind of stuck in my head. But the real inspiration for the GRBL came whenever I came back to the States and I started playing stateside for the next two years.
1: So yeah, so after that that 2008 season in France, you returned to North America, and then uh, what was next for you as a professional ball player?
0: So I I'd actually played against a team called Charbor, who was near the English Channel, and there was a scout, well, a former MLB scout that knew French. He was a he was a Canadian Quebecer who knew French and. He was recruited by this team out of northern France to coach their team. And when I played their team, I mean, you got to understand the level of baseball over there. It's probably equivalent if you had a pretty good high school team here in the States, they would mop the floors with one of the national teams over there. And when I was over there, and it's not a, a touting of any, any stretch of the imagination, you know, I, I was batting insane. 452, a 552 average, a 17 home runs, 72 RBIs, and a, just over a 50-game set. But I was facing competition that was equivalent to almost high school ball. And this guy was like, what are you doing over here? And I'm like, "I just, I just wanted to keep playing. He goes, well, I'm going to get a coaching job at this team in Toronto. And no matter what happens this year, you need to give me a call. And so I did after the after we lost the national championship in france we played in paris and we lost that game i was on a plane ride two days later to come back to the states and that was in october of 2008 and i had a little bit of downtime and i could have either started a career then but i i knew i wasn't done after having the success i had in france i mean even though that wasn't much i'm like ah, i can't give this up and so I was still trying to get back overseas, actually. But then I picked up his number and I called him. I go, okay, so tell me about this team. He goes, well, they're called the Toronto Maple Leafs in the IBL, the Intercounty Baseball League. And I go, well, is this affiliate, is it independent? Like, what is this? He goes, no, it's none of the above, but it's a really competitive ball in Toronto. And I think this is the next step for you. But before you come here, I want you to meet my best friend. Uh, his name was Steve Olshak, who was the guy who got me back to the States. He goes, Steve, Steve tells me, and he goes, you, you need to meet my friend, Bill Brick. And I had researched Bill Brick. And Bill Brick was an ex-major leaguer. And he was, at that time, a current, assistant to, current GM assistant to the San Diego Padres GM. And he goes, you're going to need to meet him. You need to drive to Chicago meet him just outside, just, just across in Indiana, meet him at this high school field, try out for him, then you can come and play for me for this Toronto league. Have him take a look at you because he might want to take you somewhere where you actually need to go. And If that doesn't work out, you play for Toronto. And I did. I had met my now wife, Stephanie, when I was starting this crazy venture of playing indie ball and semi-pro ball. and. She drove with me up to Chicago. We went and and I did this tryout just personally in front of Bill Brick with a bunch of these high school kids. And he goes, man, you got it. I need to make a couple calls. Just go up to Toronto for a little bit and I'll get you to a different team. And so Stephanie got on a train to come back to Springfield and I took my little white Jeep Cherokee and I drove it from Springfield all the way to Chicago, all the way up to Toronto. And I was playing for this league called the IBL which is truly, I think, the essence of what I'm trying to create for the GRBL now. It's a men's league that was televised by all these suburbs of Toronto. And you have such town team pride for the players and their teams, but it really is truly men's wood bat baseball. All these guys, they had jobs. They played a couple times a week but they live for it. At that time in my career, I had thought, yeah, this is great, you guys, but I I need a little bit more. And so (laughs) Bill Brick had contacted back again. He goes, well, long story short, I'm going to send you to a team out of Chicago. So I went and signed with a team out of Chicago called the Windy City Thunderbolts. The Windy City Thunderbolts took me in for two or three days. They go, Tony, you're good, but we're full up. You're done.
1: Now, were they in the Frontier League at that time or the American Association?
0: Yeah, they were in the Frontier League, and um, Bill Brick's son was their pitching coach, and that's, I think, where Bill was going with me, and he goes, you need to go play for some type of independent organization to where I can elevate you to an affiliated ball league, and the son was like, I'm so sorry, Tony, like, we're, we're full, you're good, but we can't keep you, and so, when I, when I had left Toronto to go play for Chicago, I had folded up my jersey and everything for my host parents out of Toronto and I, and I skipped town. Um, because in Toronto, they, they, they did not have a sign like any like professional contracts or anything that would tie me to the Maple Leafs. And so I basically said, hey guys, I need to get out of here and try and elevate my career. So that's what I did. But then it kind of kicked me in the butt because then they cut me immediately. So I went home in the middle of, the 2009 season and it and hadn't been Labor Day yet. And, not, and I was out of the job and I'm like completely dejected from baseball. I was like, I'm just following what everyone's trying to tell me to do. And like, this just really hit me in the face. And I was like, I could have stayed in Toronto and played in this adult league and still been playing. And uh, I called Steve Olshuk back and I go, Hey, you're still in Toronto. And he goes, yeah. And I was like,
1: would you guys want me back? On an upcoming episode of Burger Bites, Tony Lewis goes back to Canada to chase his dreams of playing professional baseball. What he didn't know was that he was in for a drive across Ontario and into Quebec that would change his perspective forever. And we learn more about how his experience in the Intercounty baseball league with the Toronto Maple Leafs shaped the concept for what we in Missouri today know as the Grip and Rip Baseball League. Until then, thank you for listening. Make sure you subscribe and please find it in your heart to share Burger Bites with your friends. I'm Rance Burger, wishing you good night from Ozark, Missouri.
0: He called my mom and dad and he goes, is this Lisa Lewis? And my mom was like, well, yeah. He's like, well, your son, Tony, we can't find him. (laughs) And he literally hung up the phone.